1: To Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by USBets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets managing editor and media director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. John, you are a fan of, or at least a former fan of, the Washington professional football team. Without yeah. getting into the debate over whether the team should change its name, it does appear the wind is blowing strongly in that direction. So I ask you, John, any ideas you've seen that you like for a new name or have you thought of any on your own that you'd like to throw into the mix?
2: Uh, well, you know, yes, considering I've only attended one Washington game in my life and that was on business and about 25 years ago. Hmm. And I've never paid for a TV package to watch their games. And I haven't even had a modest rooting interest since they were good back in a quarter century ago, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, and like NFL fans, I despise their owner, uh, like most of them. Um, So I guess I'm not a fanatic and I'm not even sure I qualify as a fan, but um, I'm fine with changing the nickname because the owner who who named them back in the 1940s, I guess, was a virulent racist when the team was located in Boston and they named it. So, you know, the the history of this is horrendous. Um, My first choice, the first is going to be Warriors because there's an alliteration there, which is Mm -hmm. nice, Washington Warriors. And because some elected officials in the rather progressive city in Northern California might twist themselves into a pretzel on it so that could be fun um wait is warriors a good name or a bad name i'm not sure um uh, red tails though was great because it was the nickname of the african-american world war ii heroes the tuskegee airmen uh based on their planes um so it honors both the military and people of color i mean that probably needs to win Um, I do almost, though, go for the Pigskins. It's a football reference. It also pays homage to the legendary Hogs offensive lineman of the 1980s and 1990s who played a key role in the Redskins winning four NFC titles and three Super Bowls in a span of just nine years. And that's an achievement that no doubt is completely unknown to every NFL fan under age 40. Like, wait, the Redskins? <laughs> the Redskins, aren't they always terrible? Like the Bengals or the Chargers? Or Yeah, no, they were great for nine years. Actually, about 15, 20 years, but uh, not since. <laughs> right. Um, now, stocky male fans used to wear pig noses dress and dress in women's clothing, Donna the Hogs, which I never right. quite understood. But I think that might be a transitional option for those who they are no longer going to get to paint their faces and wear historically inaccurate Native American headgear. So they at least they can... Dress up, uh, you know, but I think more importantly, a change of name in Washington will allow us to focus on the real enemy, which is those joyless, robotic, zombie-like war chant people at uh, Atlanta Braves games. (laughs) When's the last time you saw a Braves fan in the stands actually smiling as they chanted?
1: <laughs> i like it you're 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 pivoting and pointing uh point yeah. pointing the ire uh, in it in a different direction with a different yeah. uh native American situation uh so yeah uh, pick skins isn't bad it's funny i haven't seen that anywhere i don't know if you came up with that on your own but it also crossed my mind um as as an option because i was thinking hogs and then uh, went went the the same direction now i don't know if people are gonna say well it sounds too similar to redskins uh that we're not changing it enough or or if it's just people will say that's just not cool the washington pigskins i don't know but i I, it's kind of works and uh you know i i think you're absolutely right that uh red tails makes sense for a lot of reasons and has a lot of momentum and um you know it sort of feels like also a a compromise for fans who aren't crazy about changing the name in that it starts with red so it still sort of sounds like the old name um but the other one that I've seen that that I kind of like, it's very basic and bland, but Generals, it's 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 solid and it gives me happy USFL flashbacks um, as a as as a kid who grew up watching the USFL. Uh, the other one that I've seen, uh, Presidents, uh, nah, I, I think that's just a, a lame name. Uh, maybe I'll feel a little bit better about it next year, but uh, yeah, even so, it's uh, <laughs> under any president, uh, not not a great name for a football team. Now the the ultimate troll move. Uh, would be for Washington to go with the bullets, uh, but I, I don't see that happening. Um, but, uh, um, and, and last last one I want to throw out there, as an Eagles fan, I wouldn't mind the Washington doormats or basement dwellers or something like that, but I can kinda, kind of assume they're not going to go in that direction.
2: Uh, I think you're very close. The Washington Generals actually are the uh, Harlem Globetrotters' arch rival, who've lost about 99.9 percent <laughs> of the games. Uh, the USFL team was the Federals, I believe. So uh,
1: right, but wasn't was, the, the what didn't the New Jersey wasn't it the New Jersey Generals of the USFL or did I make that up? Uh,
2: no, I think you're right. Yeah, so, but as the Washington Federals, right okay. uh, in the USFL, Washington Generals was the yeah the Globetrotters' rival. Maybe there still is. I don't know. Um, and to be fair, in, in terms of the Pigskins, supposedly that is a. Uh, Uh, A name invented by uh, ex-felon Craig Carton, uh, who uh, – are you ever an ex-felon? I'm not sure. But anyway, (laughs) he's a New York City radio host, used to have a show with Boomer Siasin, and he gambled his way into – Into jail right
1: (laughs) okay so yeah i hadn't even thought about that there that the the washington generals is sort of like a washington doormats kind of name so one more reason one more reason for me to like it anyway but uh whatever they do you know pick something uh move on and let the world focus its attention on those tomahawk choppers in atlanta and the cleveland indians and all the other teams
2: We're all agreed on that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) All right. So thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 99 of Gamble On. That's right. We'll hit triple digits next week. If you missed any of our previous 98 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And before we get into the meat of the show, we just want to offer a quick congratulations to recent Gamble On guest Dutch Boyd, who became a dad this week, welcoming a baby boy named Kurt. Listeners may recall Dutch sounding a bit trepidatious about bringing a child into the world at this moment, but hopefully the joy is overwhelming the nerves for him right now. So congrats to Dutch. Uh, Hopefully his infant is already subscribed to this podcast and has given us a five-star rating.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Here, here, Eric, and to Dutch as well. Um, Coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by CBS Sports MMA writer and podcaster Brian Campbell. He's going to break down the UFC 251 card coming up on the weekend, which is a big one. Um, He's going to analyze some of the betting odds and talk about MMA's place in the sports betting culture during the pandemic. Um, But first, it's been a pretty darn busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
1: Off the news segment with a story our colleague Brian Pempis broke, and I know you're working on a follow up as we speak, John. The long running Phil Ivey versus Borgata saga is finally nearing an end, it appears. According to a filing last week with the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit, the two sides have reached a settlement in the matter of Borgata wanting back the $9.6 million that Ivey and partner Chung Yin Kelly-Sun won from the casino by edge sorting while playing Baccarat. We've discussed the case. Several times on the podcast, you've written thousands and thousands of words on it, John, we probably don't need to rehash all the details of what happened. The important thing is that the case has been settled pending a district court vacating certain items. We don't know any of the details of the settlement and whether Ivy and Son return some of the money they won. We also don't know if anything has changed in the case pitting Ivy and Son against Crockford's in London, where they also won big and the casino won't give them their money. So surely more details are coming and the story isn't over. But John, as someone who's been following this drama for some eight years— What's your reaction to the Borgata portion of it, apparently drawing to a sudden close? And can you begin to speculate about the settlement terms?
2: Um, well, Eric, the, the perhaps ill-gotten gains here were gained eight years ago. The lawsuit delayed laid bare the facts was only six years ago. So um, not nearly at the top of my list of reporting sockets over the last 37 <laughs> years, as you know. But six years is a, it's a pretty good run. Uh, I think it is over, though. So I think the first thing is that the fact that Borgata, no doubt, will no longer be able to garnish Ivy's poker winnings for an escrow account that would be settled when the court case was over um that's a big kind of well you know chip for phil down the road he doesn't have to worry about that anymore um also why it, it isn't always publicized that much ivy always had an out if his professional tournament results kind of sagged and that being really wealthy people who enjoyed paying money uh paying him really for the privilege of having ivy clean their clocks at the poker table right <laughs> complete with selfies instagram videos and so on uh, but during a pandemic, you know, not so much. So his, uh, you know, uh, free reign of uh, he can make as much money as he wants every year is a little bit limited right now. So he's in a tough spot uh, on Borgata's side. It's the only Atlantic City Casino that's yet to reopen as it awaits a loosening of restrictions that would appeal to their, you know, welliest of whales. So, you know, some accountant there had to be, you know, in Borgata uh, looking a bit deeper and saying, wait a minute. I mean, we got to settle this. We don't need this loose end on the books uh, at or any loose ends for that matter. So, um, but Bergata's pockets are a bit deeper, obviously. So, right. yeah. you know, for Ivy though, I think settling any amount north of his legal costs is, you know, even for a dollar beyond it in his mind, I suspect that the philosophical case, he beating the house. That's what he kept, you know, in all the, uh, filings over the years, it was, you know, why does, and we've talked about this last week, um, you know, the casinos always have the edge. And when somebody finally, you know, finds an edge like Ivy and son found, um, they can't. They can't have it. They can't make any money. So um, he's not going to get his 9.6 million or anything close to it. But anything he makes beyond his legal fees. Is kind of a win for him, and you know, obviously Ivy's so competitive that that that's in his mind, and and I suspect Borgata had to recognize, yeah, you know, he's gonna he's got to get that. It may not be much, but it's something. Um, I'll have a lot more details posted later today on NJOnlineGambling.com on this saga, okay. um, which I, I've noted is headed for a Hollywood movie with Aquafina. Um, the plot is irresistible, but you know, for a tease of those who you know are more into traditional sports betting aren't following this case or haven't followed over the years. Um, Just know that at one point in 2012, Ivy was playing mini Baccarat, supposedly a game of no skill, for up to $100,000 a hand. One hundred thousand dollars a hand. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. And I, I assume that that movie with Aquapina hasn't started filming yet. Certainly no filming has been going on during the pandemic for anything. Yeah. Uh, so uh, hopefully they whatever the wherever it stands, they can uh, tweak the ending of the script. Uh, although, actually, as as we said uh, at the time that uh, the news first broke, first broke that they were working on the movie, the outcome of the legal case isn't an essential part of the movie it can easily be a, a, a line of type on the screen at the end, uh, I suppose. Um, but yeah. you, it's an interesting point that you raise about just the timing of the settlement that I, I hadn't thought about that, that, uh, you know, just right now, Borgata's not, not making any money. So uh, maybe a good time for them to, uh, to, to concede. And uh, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe we can just get uh, a, a couple million and, uh, and, and, that'll that'll help uh, help us get by for a little while longer and be done with this thing um so i don't know hopefully hopefully the terms of the settlement will be disclosed the story still feels very incomplete to me at at this time i will be very curious to learn just how much uh, of the 9.6 million ivy is ultimately paying back
2: yeah so i said for at least five years that this is the one case of all the dozens and dozens i've covered over the years that might never settle because um Normally, there's one side that is so short-sighted, uh, you know, that they they have to give in because they, they can't right. afford to make it extend forever. But in January, I was saying, well, Borgata's never going to run out of money. Phil Ivy's never going to run out of money. Well... And pandemic hits, and guess yep. what? Uh, I'm disappointed <laughs> because this was going to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, um, where the sports betting case went. And um, I, the oral argument would have been great. I mean, this this, this is a sexy case. Uh, the judges are really top notch there. Holy cow! And they would have been hammering, uh, you know, attorneys on both sides. And it would have been great theater for me. Lots of stake for the lawyers and the uh, and the uh, you know the people involved. But uh, for me, it's just a you know front front row seat with popcorn and uh, soda. And I I, I kind of miss that
1: i love hearing you nerd out over the the quality of the judges this is like you know me me and other hardcore boxing fans who know every referee and and every judge and and know their backgrounds and they pop up on the screen and some casual fan would be like how the hell do you know who the referees are in this sport that's 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 what i feel like with you and these uh, these uh, circuit court judges
2: well it's kind of funny even at a lower court level the um the judges are so domineering and the attorneys have to be so you know supplicant i guess that it, it's 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 kind of weird. I mean, it, it's it's amusing overall, but there's a little bit of bullying involved there where like just they they just hammer, you know, these attorneys. It's like, you know, dance, you know, they're, they're firing bullets on their feet, pretty much metaphorically, and they're right. trying to dance as fast as they can. And uh, again, when you're not uh, in that uh, spotlight, it's kind of nice. But I, I always feel for these attorneys.
1: Right. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. Uh, every week, there's something to cover with regard to casinos opening or closing. And this week, we actually have four states worthy of mention. In New Jersey, the Atlantic City casinos opened last Thursday and Friday, as did Meadowlands Racetrack and Monmouth Park, and John visited them all, so I'll let him tell us a little about that. In New York, the commercial casinos were close to reopening, but Governor Cuomo changed his mind, decided they won't be part of this latest phase. Tribal casinos are open in New York, but the economic disaster for the commercial casinos continues. Meanwhile, in Pennsylvania, One casino reclosed, Rivers Pittsburgh, due to rising COVID numbers in that county. And across the state, a smoking ban has been instituted. And lastly, in Nevada, as I wrote for U.S. Bets in an article that got a lot of attention this week, speculation is picking up that Governor Sisalak is going to order Las Vegas casinos closed again as COVID has quickly spiked in Nevada and in nearby states like Arizona and California. As Vegas insider Jeff Huang told me for my piece, he believes the city and state dropped the ball in terms of restricting travel. And combined with no mask rule at first and limited crowd control measures, Vegas is playing a big role in viral spread in both directions, coming and going. But as of our recording on Thursday morning, no word from Sisolak. And Huang is now speculating that the governor will wait about two weeks to see if there's a big spike caused by July 4th visitation before making a decision. Lots to discuss here. John, share with us some of your observations from Atlantic City and any thoughts you might have on New York, Pennsylvania, or Nevada.
2: Yeah, there is a lot to unpack here, that's for sure. Um, you know, I was consulted after being exhausted from my two-day tour of those establishments to realize I had to be the only person on earth who uh, visited all 10 sites in New Jersey in that span. So that was pretty cool, I thought, um, even at my age. Um Right. to most states, though, safety levels in New Jersey look to be excellent. I mean, I was so much shocked at my last stop at the Meadowlands racetrack on Friday night. Um, I saw not only no social, social distancing on the line to get in around post time, but one knucklehead not even wearing a mask. I mean, that is I can't describe how shocking it is to see somebody heading inside to any building in northern New Jersey without a mask. I mean, not only. Can you not get in without a mask? But um, nobody even tries it. It's just it's right. bizarre. And the mistake made was that uh, he was told, yes, you will get a mask. They didn't give him one right away. They It was like 10, 12 minutes. And then he got in and got the mask. So but that being said, you know, that's one guy. The line was really about 15 minutes total. Uh, temperatures got checked. There was a metal detector. Um, you know, I had to do a reality check and think of all those photos of debauchery in Las Vegas casinos you mentioned, and even at some Jersey Shore bars the weekend before. So, you know, casinos and racetracks in New Jersey, frankly, are safer than a trip to the Walmart. So, um, <laughs> that's good. Uh, New York uh, continues to confound me. So, the A.C. Casino Industry has collected 338 million in online casino revenue from January through May. At a zero for New York counterparts because Governor Cuomo doesn't like uh, online gambling. Um, the overall sports betting tally in, again, those five months, $96 million for New Jersey casinos and not quite $2 million for New York State casinos. Mm, that seems like a problem. Uh, and now Governor Cuomo, as, as you mentioned, recently decided he wouldn't even let his four upstate casinos, uh, commercial casinos, that is um, – uh, even open to, to New Jersey's watered-down version, you know, no sit-down dining, no booze, no smoking. I mean, 25% capacity, it's not great, but it's something. And New Jersey casinos are hurting, but they do have the online component, New York casinos. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Sullivan County, where the teetering bankruptcy considering resorts where Catskills is located, they had one positive result on Monday, one. Uh, we have talked about the incredibly difficult balance, of course, between safety and economy. And I've said many times I would not want to be, you know, the, a governor in charge of balancing the two because it, right. it's an impossible task. But you know, if that casino shutters for good, and it might, there goes a thousand jobs. So, how does that do to that local economy? So. Um, Now, Pennsylvania, the smoky ban there, too, is interesting. Um, I think it's an opportunity to see if those casinos can feasibly continue that for the long term. You know, uh, some of the people you talk to are longtime smokers who say, thank God. I mean, I I, want to smoke and I got to smoke. And if I can't smoke, I will. But if I can't, maybe maybe I won't. So, you know, they're not all going to be opposed. I mean, some of them are, obviously, but not all. So that's interesting. And finally, Nevada. Yeah, it appears that what happens in Vegas can put you on a ventilator and possibly worse.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think they're adopting that as their new uh, slogan, but uh, um... what happens
2: in Vegas dot dot dot? Yeah,
1: yeah, regarding the smoking thing, uh, I'm sorry, but it's just obvious that smoking and preventing COVID spread don't don't mix Uh, casinos have to set up outdoor smoking areas with plenty of room for people to spread out because you just can't do it with a mask on, you know, drinking, you kind of can you know out of a bottle you can put it under the mask and take a quick sip and presumably not be elevating the infection chances much but smoking sorry smokers you know you you've always been a health risk to everyone with the secondhand smoke but uh it's it's a lot worse uh, now and uh, i just can't see any way that uh any any casinos should be allowing smoking right now and, and 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 you're absolutely right this is an interesting test uh to see how people respond, how it goes, and whether maybe some of these casinos go permanently. No smoking. You have to go outside to do it. We'll see. Um, I should certainly address the the Vegas situation since I wrote that story that got a lot of national attention. The most interesting thing Jeff Wang talked to me about was how Vegas blew it with travel restrictions. And it's just a fascinating subject to debate and discuss because – what is Las Vegas without tourists from out of state? You know, Pennsylvania casinos, no big deal. Locals are your main audience. Atlantic city. Most of the people coming there are from within a state or two of New Jersey. Uh, And those states have travel restrictions and mandatory quarantines if you come in from a surging state and arrive in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, etc. Macau also set up travel restrictions, as Huang explained to me. So, yeah, the casino is not going to do its usual business, but it's also not going to cause explosive spread of the virus. For Vegas to avoid being part of the problem and for Vegas to avoid the likelihood of closing down again within a couple of months of opening up, They needed to make an effort to limit tourists, at least from certain states. But then what's the point of opening your casino up if you're hardly going to have anyone in it? Uh, So you you really can't win here. But I'm sorry to say that until the U.S. gets COVID under control, which it's nowhere close to doing, Vegas can't be Vegas without making the COVID problem worse. I I sympathize with them. They're in a no-win situation, but I think it's clear everywhere with casinos that if we're going to insist on reopening them, it has to be done with extreme health precautions. That will suck a lot of the fun out of it. Uh, it, It's that, or we keep overwhelming hospitals and costing lives.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, that's why New Jersey, uh, I've been on the fence with it. Uh, I think the... um, Obviously, to switch three days beforehand to say, "Oh, well, never mind. You can't, uh, you can't have drinking. You can't have dining. Uh, even 25 percent. Um, the timing wasn't good. But right. yeah, it is. It is cautious, but it is a little bit of a balance because um, for New Jersey casinos, they're all in Atlantic City, of course. You know, to have they have their online component. They're getting a little bit of revenue now from from uh, inside. Mm-hmm. You know, not much, but something. Yeah, that seems maybe like a decent balance. And then we'll see how it goes in two three four weeks and go from there and i think new york state should be doing that too uh and las vegas is you know completely blown it as you say
1: all right for our final news story this week we go to virginia one of the states currently working to launch regulated sports betting the timeline has come into clearer focus in the last few days as jill dorson reported for SportsHandle.com. Proposed regulations are due to be released next Wednesday, July 15th. 60 days later, the Lottery Commission can vote on those regulations, and that puts the state in a position to launch sports betting in January or February of 2021, not this December, as some in the industry had speculated. And from reading Jill's article carefully, it seems January or February is an if-everything-goes-smoothly scenario. Any hiccups could push it back a little. One presumes that if there's a Super Bowl next February, Virginia will work hard to be taking bets by then. Uh, One other piece of news, the lottery is saying it will offer a minimum of 11 mobile platforms and a maximum of 14. And I'll close with a quote from Jill's article, sure to warm your heart, John, from Lottery Executive Director Kevin Hall. Quote, Hmm. my sense is that the New Jersey framework is kind of road tested and the industry is comfortable with it and it's operating pretty successfully. We can take from here and borrow from there. We're glad not to be first movers. End quote. Finally, John, a state trying to learn by watching New (laughs) Jersey. Uh, Thoughts on the upcoming launch of sports betting in Virginia?
2: Well, uh first I'll speculate they're not gonna be ready in time for the Super Bowl and I'll even go out on a limb and say the Washington Red Tails are not gonna be in it anyway, so <laughs> there's not gonna be not gonna be too much loss there. Um although we saw with uh, uh, I guess it was uh, New Hampshire where the uh, the Patriots win the Super Bowl their first year and yeah, they got their clock. I think free, it was so. Rhode Island, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. right, Rhode Island, yeah. yeah. So, um yeah, so the local team being in the Super Bowl is not always a, a guaranteed winner anyway. Right. Um but yeah, my longstanding recommendation to legislators of course is just, you know, take New Jersey's regulations, then cross out New Jersey and pencil in your state name, you know, every every time you see it on every page. <laughs> it finally gets heated. Um the only complaint I ever hear about New Jersey, and it's fair, is no betting on New Jersey College sports. I mean, it's not a big loss for for New Jersey because Rutgers is Rutgers and nobody else is pretty much anybody else except Seton Hall basketball on a good year, but uh, it's not a big deal. Um, Now sports betting lottery States seem to move forward a little bit more efficiently. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised here. Um, the big bugaboo there usually is it's a monopoly in several states, and that's a disaster for, for consumers. But, you know, a dozen so competitors in, in Virginia, that's, that's good for better. So uh, I like this uh, development. Um, I think importantly, though, a Virginia passage of, of this sends a, a signal to southern states generally leery of gambling. Maybe it's not so scary after all. So uh, I think uh, this is a big domino in the big picture
1: yeah yeah absolutely um yeah so so far so good what we're hearing out of virginia they seem to be doing almost everything right uh when we did that staff poll of what states would top the list for sports betting revenue by the end of 2021 our boss adam small was leading the charge for virginia to rank higher noting that the average income in the state is higher than than others it's a wealthy state and you have to have money to bet money for the most part uh now uh if they don't launch until January or February or even later, slim chance that they actually crack the top five within a year. But they do seem to be a state that, you know, looking another year or so out has the pieces in place to contend for the title. And just as far as whether they'll be up and running in time for the Super Bowl, I guess there's no guarantee that the Super Bowl won't be delayed by a few weeks. So, so that might create a little extra wiggle room for Virginia.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think the the culture in, in Virginia is uh for gambling is there though. I mean I, hmm. I it, yeah, it's got a good population, uh it's pretty affluent um near D C. Right. Um but uh and uh you know, incredibly the re- the Washington red whatever's are still <laughs> actually pretty popular in the region, but um yeah, I, so I'm I'm not as uh, bullish on their uh, their their numbers uh, overall because I you know we look at um, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, even Michigan. Those are great rabid sports fan states. I mean they're True. really good. And Virginia, I don't I don't think it is. Right.
1: All right. Time will tell.
2: It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble on interview.
1: While we continue to wait for baseball and basketball to maybe start up again, the biggest sporting event and sports betting event of this coming weekend is UFC 251 taking place on Fight Island, just one more dystopian detail in a surreal year. Joining us now to break down this fight card and some of the betting options is one of my dearest friends from the boxing media world, Brian Campbell, who covers boxing, MMA, and sometimes pro wrestling for CBSSports.com. He's the host of the State of Combat podcast and the co-host of Showtime's Morning Combat, and he joins us now. Brian, welcome to Gamble On
3: oh thank you great name of the uh, for the show here uh, fired up to be a part of this
1: i forget who gets credit for uh, for gamble on but I, I remember there was much debate over whether it was a, a good name or a lame name but uh put you in the in the in the column for a, a positive vote we like it i'm sure um, john
3: paul jones would love it all right let's <laughs> there
1: you go all right so let's start with the main event of saturday's card which changed over the weekend it was supposed to be and pre- please uh correct my pronunciations if I blow any of these because I don't know MMA that well but it was supposed to be kamaro Usman versus Gilbert Burns uh, but Burns tested positive for COVID-19 and Dana White and the UFC quickly threw together a fight that might actually be bigger and better Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. Usman was a minus 240 favorite over Burns. He's a slightly bigger favorite at minus 300 over Masvidal while you can get plus 230 on Masvidal. Brian, should Usman be that big of a favorite? Is Masvidal only that big of an underdog because people don't know if he had enough time to prepare? And are you looking forward to this new main event, Usman Masvidal, more than you were looking forward to Usman Burns?
3: Yeah, just to hit off that last question first, this is, you know, as rare or unique a situation, we've seen UFC fights fall apart, you know, the day of, even before, have never seen the replacement fight be this much better. And Gilbert Burns is... uh, not a commercially known fighter, but a great fighter. That fight would have been really fun. Pay-per-view sales would not have been great, even though this is a very deep card with a lot of big names. It's certainly you need that marquee player. Well, we have it now with Mazvidal. To get that on six days' notice, you know, it's, it's like waking up on Christmas morning and your parents decide, here's some Hanukkah gifts, too, just for the fun of it, right? Like, <laughs> let's, let's let's rock out. We got some Kwanzaa candles in the back. So uh, this is fantastic because Mazvidal, over the past year, has arguably become like the second biggest star in the sport behind Conor McGregor. It's been a a rise out of nowhere, 35 years old, 17 years into the game. He had three knockouts last year, spectacular fashion, became your fighter of the year, and really became, because of his like Tony Montana-esque persona, like the sort of counterculture street hero in a lot of ways. So him coming into this fight, you can argue that Gilbert Burns is more well-rounded and a tougher prep. For Kamaru Usman, But but Jorge Masvidal is one of those guys who can finish a fight at any time from creative ways that you don't see coming and also can be down in the fight and not get rattled. So this is an entirely interesting scenario, not just because it's the coronavirus pandemic. This fight's going to take place in Abu Dhabi, 6 a.m. local time, uh, six days notice. Masvidal's got to cut a ton of weight. There are so many elements in here. So while I can certainly play, a, you know, reasons why it's going to be tough for Masvidal, you're looking at one of those rare type of performers who just really performs well in the midst of chaos. Floyd Mayweather, as you know, Eric, on the boxing side, would always one of those guys. He could be on his way to jail after a fight and still give you the best that he has. Masvidal doesn't seem bothered by that. He's riding an incredible emotional wave from what happened last year, the fact that he's about to make some legitimate money and also the fact that he just beat his own boss at the negotiation table. He turned this fight down twice, and they called him back after he went on a very public tour against lack of fighter pay at this level from UFC. That kind of matters at times with momentum for UFC. So here's the deal about this fight. Kamaru Usman is probably the second best wrestler UFC has ever seen behind Khabib Nurmagomedov. If he wants to, if that's his game plan, there is a fair to pretty good chance That he can out-wrestle Jorge Masvidal, and that's why he's a favorite, as you mentioned. It'll take the excitement out of the bout, but that's what he does best. The real question coming in is, are the other mitigating factors going to force him to have to or want to alter his strategy? He's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder thinking he's a better striker than people realize. He's just come off a five-round win against Colby Covington where even though they're both wrestlers, it was on the feet the entire time in a big boxing match. And he also took on a new coach in Trevor Whitman who really teaches striking on a high level. If Usman can, can be consistent at just taking Jorge down and be fine with that, you got to like Usman in this spot. But if this turns into a fight or if Masvidal's takedown defense can suddenly show you big-time improvement, I like, I like the idea of a live dog here, in Jorge Masvidal, and I think that uh, the fight's not going to be over until it's over, because he's going to have a
1: chance to be in it at any time. All right, so in terms of the odds, seems like you're saying pretty good case on, on either side. The numbers are, are reasonably reflective of the actual matchup.
3: Yeah, no question about it, and it just really comes down to whether you'll look at things like, as much as we say, how is Masvidal going to adjust to this, how's Usman? going to adjust to the idea of a new opponent on six days notice a guy who's more explosive like I mentioned and also some of those mental games that get in the head of people uh if Masvidal wins this is best case scenario of course for the UFC I mean he may call it Conor McGregor for all we know and it's Mm -hmm. big business ahead but if you're Kamaru Usman you're a champion who feels like you don't get credit as being a star you don't get credit as being a well-rounded fighter I mentioned that chip on his shoulder I think there's a good reason to believe he's going to go in here trying to prove something because if he, let's say, is able to destroy Jorge Masvidal, he's going to have a chance of becoming a star overnight. So that's going to play against him in this fight. And we have legitimate beef between them. And as much as these guys are professionals and you try to remove the emotion from it, they almost got into a fight during media day at the Super Bowl. They do not like each other. If it turns into emotion, I'm going to favor the guy who stirs the pot in Jorge Masvidal. So it's certainly a – it's going to be up to his takedown defense. It's going to be up to the mindset of Usman. But unlike other fights like this, when you're giving somebody a puncher's chance, I'm going to give Jorge Masvidal more than that traditional puncher's chance because, like I said, he may lose the first three rounds laying on his back. That doesn't mean he can't catch you with a flying knee or something random out of the way to score a TKO. If Usman wins, it goes the distance, most likely. If Masvidal wins, it certainly comes before that. Gotcha.
2: Uh, yeah, Brian, the UFC really impresses me. They've hit the ground running, and uh, particularly with this card, but even some previous cards. So um, they jump right out of the gate. I mean, I'm more of a putter than a fighter, so I follow the PGA Tour more closely. And, you know, no offense to the good people at Rocket Mortgage and to the guy named Charles Schwab, who has a tournament named after him. But, um, you know, they've kind of... Limp their way back with four lame tournaments. And so, you know, I watch pieces of it, but I don't really miss the crowd that much because, uh, you know, well, although people who never watch golf camp believe there's ever an exciting crowd for <laughs> golf, I admit, but in the majors, certainly in the Ryder cup in, in particular, which is canceled this year, fortunately, um, you know, it really, I, I really would miss it. I couldn't really enjoy a major event without fans. So, um, so for the UFC, uh, uh person in the, in, on their couch, watching, uh, watching it live, uh, how much of a difference does it make not having that fan element there?
3: I really would have preferred if you asked me about VJ Singh's takedown defense there, John. But the <laughs> fact that, that there's no crowd really hasn't affected UFC from uh, uh, a number standpoint or in a in a fan or journalist enjoyment. And, and I think a lot of these fighters, you know, they've come up fighting in empty arenas in small situations, mm-hmm. and they certainly have had scenarios like the ultimate fighter reality show, which takes place in an empty gym where it's certainly not a problem for them. If anything, a lot of them have told me how much they've, they've been able to focus even more. And there's some weird elements in there without a crowd where the fighters can hear the instructions from the other corner. They can hear their <laughs> corner's instructions clearer than ever. And they can hear the announced team, which at times have had, you know, future hall of famers like Daniel Cormier giving them advice in real time that they can actually use. All of that has been interesting But outside of those rare moments when I won't, I don't, I I guess I can't say rare because the fights have been bangers since UFC has come back during this quarantine. They have put the product forward and the fights have overachieved. There's been a few times where you're like, man, if this brawl right now, you know, Dan Hooker and, uh, and Justin Poirier a few weeks back, if this main event brawl would have been in front of 20,000 people, they'd be going sick right now. Outside of that feeling once in a while, they've been able to darken the backgrounds and contain what's happening in that cage. And it, it feels the same, uh, if not even better sometimes for lack of distractions. Uh, personally, in terms of being there, I haven't covered one of these empty ones. I certainly love the feeling at boxing and MMA uh, events of, of what you get that energy and that electricity, and it is real. But um, you got to give the UFC a lot of credit for a lot of different reasons in terms of being able to, to allow the show to keep going. And one thing is that the quality from matchmaking to the entertainment has really not lacked at any point.
1: All right, so one of the the fights on the undercard that I want to talk about, one of our writers, Brian Pempis, wrote that uh, Rose Namahunas, I uh, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Is, is, Namahunas, is, close enough. Namahunas, Lithuanian, you know. okay.
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, uh, that she's a, a safe bet as an almost two-to-one favorite over Jessica Andrade <laughs> and that bettors are, are getting a good price on her because she lost to Andrade last year, but it was fluky. Uh, would you agree or disagree with, with that assessment that the, that the loss was fluky and that that's a really good price on, on uh, Namahunas?
3: Yeah, I'm a big Nama Unis fan in terms of her ability, in terms of her mental game, and this is more of a sneaky expert bet to really favor her. Now, while the odds makers do have Nama Unis as the favorite over Andraj, despite that loss, look, if you really know this game, you know there were elements of of, of a fluky nature. Nama Unis not only dominated that first round from the boxing standpoint, just painted Andraj up. She looked in that moment to be the best she's ever been, probably the best 115 pound fighter. You know, in the world or maybe that we'd ever seen at that point, And one of the best pound for pound female wise, you know, of all time. And then it all went crumbling in round two when she got twice picked up and dropped the second time on her head and it was a flash knockout. Now I did talk to Rose Namajunas this week and I'm not going to act like Eric from a betting standpoint that you don't have to look at a few potential red flags. Nami Yunus almost retired after that fight by just saying at 27, she's recently turned 28, that she just didn't know if she wanted to do this anymore. She also had a pull out of the originally scheduled rematch earlier this year when two members of her family perished due to the COVID virus. So she's got a lot going on mentally, but the thing is she's always had, she's always been open about her mental health journey. She's always been very cerebral and upfront. And she says she's found again the passion to, to be a fighter, to do this at this level, and really went as far as admitting when she got dropped on her head that time, it was only because she just got bored. She just didn't know if she wanted to do this for a living. Again, most fighters, major red flag. This time around, it's somebody who's navigated those waters before. She is the better fighter, Andrade is one of those knockout or nothing types. She's aggressive. She's there. But you can light her up with shots. She's coming off a knockout loss and losing her title to Li Zhang in China in about 15 seconds. There's some reason to believe that, you know, maybe she's got a little bit of worn elements to her. I not only like Rose Namunas to come back and make a giant statement and get herself back into a title fight against Li Zhang, I think she can stop her. Rama Yunus is not a knockout threat in a one-strike situation, but she punches so accurately. She's got length. She's got great footwork. I think she can put it together, and if Andrade is any level of shop-worn, she her aggressiveness can ultimately get her ending up and getting knocked out.
1: And my apologies to Jessica Andraj, whose name I butchered far worse than uh, Rose Nama Yunus. Uh, as well, here's so.
3: what you have to learn in MMA media pretty quickly. Uh, any Brazilian names, you're just not going to get it right. The R's <laughs> or H's, but there's different rules. It's just, it's a huge mess.
2: Okay. Yeah, all right, Brian, uh, you know, let's face it, a lot of football, basketball, baseball betters uh, have kind of been scrambling this year, and um, the results are the the, uh, the handle on UFC matches has been really good, and I'm just curious if you think, because uh, every sport seems to think in the niche, oh, well, this is the, our big chance, everyone's going to see us for the first time, and they're going to love us, and they're going to stick with us forever and all that, um, and part of that is is how much they enjoy the entertainment spectacle but this is gamble on after all so as far as a better goes do you think a, a, a traditional football better a basketball better a baseball better uh, is there anything about ufc betting that is going to be particularly appealing to them or do you think once their their real sports come back they're going to just going to stick with that and that's the end of it
3: oh ufc is a very appealing betting sport from a couple standpoints one because of the control they have as a promotion, because the people that run the UFC uh, essentially rescued the sport from the from death in 2001 when it wasn't even allowed on TV, they control it all in ways the boxing will, will you know, hopefully one day know again, but probably never. So the best always face the best. From a betting standpoint, you never know what's going to happen. Underdogs always have the opportunity to win big. And in fact, UFC often goes on runs where main event underdogs can come through in a very big way. So you're looking at things from so many different angles, it's you know, in boxing, you have a lot more tilted matchups toward an A-side who would really have a hard time losing unless a catastrophe happened. In MMA, there's just more ways to lose. There's a lot of other mental things that play in, and specifically during this quarantine. I mean, these guys are not getting full training camps, not getting the type of normal sparring. Max Holloway, the former featherweight champion who's going to get a rematch on Saturday for the belt he just lost. He was in Hawaii in his home. He couldn't talk to his coaches in person. He had to do it over Zoom. I mean, there are some unprecedented elements here where mm. while a lot of that hasn't affected these fighters because these UFC guys are, are just, a, you know, cut from a different cloth. They are warriors every step of the way. They don't always make the most amount of money, but they come and they bring it. Um, some are, 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 you know, are not, certainly not immune to that. So there's always elements to win big in this case and, and make big time money. And, you know, when we're talking about the quarantine, the UFC has, has really taken some gambles, but they've pressed all the right buttons. And uh, when you're the only game in town and you're delivering, it's kind of an interesting combination there.
2: Uh, yeah, Mammoth Park opened on Friday. It's uh, thoroughbred meet, and uh, one of the races, a horse was 120 to 1, and he won. So the few people that, that waged on that horse were having an exact uh, – they're set for life. I mean, they're never going well, to yeah, give it yeah, up. Yeah, so, no, no doubt. Know, predictability and, and, is good, yeah. sure.
3: And just the fact also that the culture allows losses, even at the elite level in MMA, without writing somebody off like like we see in boxing. So that's why in boxing you get so many – one-sided matchups until they finally step up and UFC you're almost expected to lose two three four times until you figure out how to actually do this sport at the highest level so from a betting standpoint it, it's constant fun
1: yeah that's certainly very different from from the way boxing operates as, as you know but uh great stuff Brian uh to all our listeners you can follow Brian on Twitter at bcampbellcbs uh, and I'll give a, a quick tease that I'll be appearing on one of Brian's podcasts next week that has nothing to do with boxing or MMA how, how's that tease
3: it has a lot to do with women scantily clad on a beach eric (laughs) it does it
1: does that's a good that's a good additional tease uh all right well thanks for joining us brian great talking to you and uh, enjoy the fights this weekend
3: yeah gamble on eric thank you
2: (laughs) thanks brian two men ten thousand dollars will they run it up or blow it all it's time to check in on the gamble on bankroll
1: Too lousy cold streak is over, thanks to John's winning PGA bet, taking Victor Hovland to finish in the top 20 at plus 120 odds. It was a perfect bet as he finished tied for 12th through 20th, winning us $120. Uh, That means we're now up by $138 with $550 on hold in futures bets. But we also have a controversial situation to address regarding a past futures bet that we graded as a loser, Uh, John taking the Trailblazers over 46.5 wins. We lost $110 on it. Or did we? Uh, you want to explain, John?
2: Uh, yeah, I'd assume that since the Blazers lost their 36th game just before the NBA shutdown in March, that bet had to be a loser, right? I mean, but different books have made different decisions on payouts. Some are very unfair to better, some frankly are unfair to the books. So yeah, so it's
1: it's kind of a matter of of whether they the books have had sort of a five a fine print. That specifies a certain number of games must be played for the bet to count. Uh, and in the in the case of uh, the book where you theoretically would have placed this bet, we're learning that NBA teams needed to play 80 games, or else the the bet at least 80 games, uh, or else the bet uh, gets refunded. So, and you know, I figure if the Knicks under bet. Uh, that we made that was almost certain to win goes down as a refund. Then it's certainly fair to to call this one a refund also. Um, but so yeah, uh, you know, in terms of, of fairness, I support us getting our hundred ten dollars back. So that means we're actually up by two hundred forty eight dollars with five fifty on hold in futures bets. So we have nine thousand six hundred ninety eight dollars available to bet. And you're up first this week, John.
2: Yeah, I needed that Hovland pick to get back in business. Um, he birdied 14 and 17 on the final round, by the way. Nice. He had no chance of winning, but uh, he came through for us. Uh, so now I'm at seven of the last nine uh, winning PGA Tour bets, so that's nice. Um, sticking with my discipline of not picking anyone on AM round one tee times, too, um, I turned to another phenom, uh, Colin Morikawa, um, He's a a recent Cal Berkeley grad is threatening Tiger Woods' record of most consecutive made cuts to start his tour career. Hmm. And uh, this Muirfield course in Ohio, it's kind of a bizarre event that next week is a memorial, which is a real – the first quality event since the PJ tour resumed. This one is not that, but it's the same course, um, but it sets up nicely for more cow is a par three, par four game. So a uh, hundred to win 163 for a top 20. I'd love this bet. So I'm going to throw in 20 at plus 650 uh, to gain a top five. And that'd be another
1: $130. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm going to continue trying to hit on these Thursday night ESPN boxing matches mm. in real life. I placed a bet on Tuesday on heavyweight Carlos Takam to win in the main event over Jerry Forrest. I was shocked by the odds. To me, he's a fairly clear favorite, and he was only minus 125 at DraftKings. Uh, I checked elsewhere. He was minus 162 on Foxbet, which is also a decent price, but minus 125 seemed almost too good to be true. Uh, I later learned that what happened was Takam opened – Closer to minus 300, and money came in on the underdog Forest because they just had it a, a little too wide. Um, and so I just happened to be looking at what turned out to be the perfect time to bet to come at minus 125. Anyway, long story short, he's not minus 125 anymore. He's now back up to minus 148, which is still decent value, but not amazing value. So I'm going to take a little chance here on where I think the best value is right now. Takam specifically by decision at plus 240. Uh, you crunch the numbers there. It means if he's 30% or higher to win the fight by decision, that's good value. Yeah. And I think Takam by decision is the most likely outcome. It's about 35 to 40% in my view. So there's value there. Uh, Forrest is a smart enough boxer. He won't be easy to knock out. I think it goes the distance and Takam wins. So I'm betting $50 to win $120 on that specific scenario. And that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Brian Campbell. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to USBets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Next week, episode 100, and we're just about locked in with a guest that will make the episode feel extra special, so you won't <laughs> want to miss that one. Uh, but that's next week. For now, it's still episode 99 so let's wrap it up john please take us out
2: yes eric i got the monmouth park racetrack about one hour before the thoroughbred tracks first race of the season at 5 p.m on friday so i've got a little time to kill wander around so i mosey on outside and wind up uh, in a socially distanced mass conversation with a lifer and there's plenty of them there Um, he tells me he used to own a couple standard breads in the harness racing side and he knows a lot of the owners of monmouth park and he just casually tells me after about five minutes that apparently the four horse is a lock in the first race. Hmm. Now, you know, if you spend enough time along the route, the track, eventually you'll find a top for every horse in the race. So <laughs> you got to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but something about this guy gave me a good feeling. Uh, and then he told me the four horse wins the first race of the season almost every year, no matter what the odds. Hmm. Uh, that sounded like tinfoil hat stuff. So <laughs> dissuaded me. So still, I learned a couple of things. First, I recall that New Jersey is the only state with fixed odds wagering. So that 10 to 1 early price that he told me would drop by quite a bit. Yeah, I could have had it. Um, instead, I waited till two minutes before the race, and then kind of leery of that first race, four-horse-always-wins angle. Uh, I bet a whopping two bucks on the horse to win. Um, he paid nine twenty, Yeah, so <laughs> it's something. Uh, could have been more with fixed odds, so I learned that. And uh, or if I just trusted the Railbird's advice and ignored the numerology, it would have helped me, too. Um, still, after visits to eight casinos and two racetracks in two days, my final bottom line, if you add it all up, there was a profit of uh, $7.20. <laughs> All right. um and with that goodbye everybody and until next time in episode 100 gamble on.